Good morning. I think it's almost fitting that having been unable to meet last Sunday due to the weather to catch up for a lost Sunday that I'm the one preaching today. So if it's about 1245 instead of 1220, hopefully you won't mind since you are making up from last Sunday. And nobody's leaving yet, so you must not take me seriously today. No, it is my joy and privilege again to stand behind the pulpit and bring the Word of God today. And as Pastor Charlie mentioned in his prayer, the, the message that God has been preparing over the last few days, but really this is a message that the Lord has been preparing and stirring my heart, even though I wasn't aware exactly where I would fall in the series of preaching uh, to be able to preach the last message that we have in this series on the book of Philippians. Uh, things that have been at work uh, in my spirit and in my heart as I have considered uh, the message that uh, God has given to the church through the Apostle Paul, uh, primarily to the church at Philippi, but also to all of us as believers. So if you have not already, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, as we will be looking at these last 10 verses uh, beginning in verse 14, uh, Pastor Chad, our last study through the book of Philippians, uh, did a wonderful job in presenting uh, a, a message about contentment and how God develops that contentment in our life. Uh, but that message is sort of put in the middle of a thought that Paul begins in verse 10. So I'd like for you, if you would, to look back up in verse 10 as we begin our reading and we'll read through the remainder of the chapter together. So if you would follow along as I begin reading in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Ask your blessing upon it. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that lies within these words. So, Father, I pray that as you use me to speak, I pray, Lord, that we would hear you clearly. I pray that your, your spirit would speak to us, open our eyes so that we may see it, cause us to understand it. I pray that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. And I pray that we would, with joy, leave this place ready and willing to live 
that which you've called us to do as you change us into what you would have us to be. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor Charlie began our meeting today by talking about some opportunities that we have. And when we think about the world in which we live, we have a lot of opportunities in which we can impact the world in which we live. All you need to do is watch a few commercials on television these days and you can see for just pennies a day. We can help cure cancer. We can find a home for lost pets, whether it be dogs or cats. We can even support families of disabled veterans. There are all different types of ways in which we can change the world with just pennies a day, we're told. Many groups have used and will continue to use, I'm sure, the goodwill attitude that we experience around the holidays. Uh, and it doesn't hurt that it's also at the end of the year where they can also remind you that it's tax deductible uh, to take advantage and present you with these opportunities to try to motivate you with pictures and with video and uh, with stories and illustrations of how the world is in much need and how you, with just a little bit of effort in comparison to everything else, can make a huge difference. Now, I'm not here, even though the, the fact that I'm somewhat cynical and sarcastic causes you to maybe question the genuineness in which I shared this introduction. I understand that, and that's probably uh, a, a huge problem for me. But I, but, but I really don't want to take away from any of these causes. I don't want to take away from any opportunity that you have to make the world a better place in which we live. Especially... If you can get a t-shirt or maybe a bumper sticker or maybe a keychain that reminds you of the gift that you gave in helping the world overcome its problems. But seriously, there is a genuine sense of fulfillment when you do participate in something like that. It could be very emotionally based. It could be just, I feel good about myself because I have given to this cause or this need. Uh, and that that, that's good. We, we should feel a sense of accomplishment when we are contributing to those things that are hurting and those things which are in lack and those things which are, uh, are not complete or those things which aren't right. But hopefully we will only find a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction to the degree in which the value in which we are investing is, is true. We all each have to evaluate causes that are worth giving to, whether a lot or a little. Uh, not only that, but we also have to ask ourselves, why are we doing it? Are we doing it out of a sense of guilt? Are we doing it because uh, I'm, I'm the peer pressure? Am I doing it because I truly see this as a genuine need? Is it something that I'm really getting involved in? Now here in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is speaking about an opportunity that the Philippians had an opportunity to be a part of. He picks up again in verse 10, uh, in our passage today from verse 10, in which he was happy, he was rejoicing in the Lord in a great manner that they revived their concern for him. Now, it was important for them to understand this because we have to remember where Paul is at at this time. He's in a prison cell. Uh, he's been there for some time, and he's taken this occasion to write to some of the churches that he had opportunity to not only help establish, but to, to grow 
his young congregations. And he was wanting to rejoice with them in the fact that they were participating with him. They were a partner with him. In verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. Uh, in giving and receiving. That's a Greek phrase. That, it's, a, it's a business term. In which there were transactions given back and forth when he left Macedonia. So, and if you recall... In Acts chapter 17, when Paul left Macedonia, having not only spent time there at, at Philippi, but he also uh, was spending time at Thessalonica and also with the Bereans and a number of other churches that are within that area, he left not on good terms with the, the, the community. Now, with the church, they were sorry to see him leave. Uh, the community was glad to see him go because he was ruining their businesses. They, they were, he was ruining their religious practices. And they actually had to sort of sneak him out of town, so to speak. And ever since then, he, he wanted the Philippian church to know that he acknowledged that of all the churches that he spent time in and invested his time in, that they were the only ones who sent to take care of his needs. And he was appreciative of that. His gratitude was very clear. He said it was kind, verse 14, which is just another way of saying, uh, not in the, in the way in which he, they were um, being nice and that they were being favorable, but in a way in which they were being noble. They were doing a good thing to share. It's interesting to note that while the term participate or partake or fellowship that we get from the, the Greek term koinonia, he uses in verse 14 a compound word which makes it a little stronger in which it's not only were they participating, but they were participating in something that they could identify with. And it's not very hard to figure out that context, right? He had shared with them the gospel. They understood that he was an apostle spreading the gospel. So that when they were partaking in his ministry, they were participating in something they had something in common with. They could identify with it. They knew how important it was to get the good news throughout all the world. And that motivated their giving. Even in the midst of his trouble, which is a word that is often tra translated in scriptures, uh, either tribulation or affliction. It's more than just simply having a bad day. And he said, and again reminding them, that they were the only ones out of all those churches that were providing support for him to take care of his needs. There were partners. Interesting that he uses this idea of partnership closing this letter after spending quite a bit of time, particularly in chapter 2, talking about uh, things like making sure that they have the same mind, making sure that they have the same love, being full accord of one mind, to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, looking not only to one's own interests, but also to the interests of others, without disputes, agreeing in the Lord. For you see, it's when we have a common cause that all the peripheral stuff falls away. 
The most dangerous thing that can happen in the church, and I'm not just speaking about a local assembly, however, that is one way where we can see the concentrated effort, but one of the most dangerous things that can happen to the church is for us to forget that which we are participating in, that which we can identify, that is the gospel, and all the other peripheral things become elevated to the top. Then we start arguing about differences, things that aren't important, is the gospel. Things that are not the significant thing. The things that aren't the main thing. I'm so happy that the election is over, but I'm afraid that the results of the election are going to create splinters that we can't seem to fix over the next four years or eight years or however long it happens. That's a tragedy. It's a shame that the national media, when it looks at the church in its current culture, is more focused on what we're fighting about than for the Christ that we're serving and trying to spread. And so we should take great heed, again, to the words in which Paul is saying, have the same mind. Think of others more than yourselves. Love one another. Have the mind of Christ. And instead of just leaving a void there, he fills it with making sure they understand the role of partnership. Their participation didn't focus on Paul. It didn't focus on the individuals to whom he was serving, but their focus, their participation was focused on God and His work. How do I know that? Well, if we just simply take a quick review of some of the things that there were partners here just in this book of the Philippians... We see that they were partners, first of all, for the sake of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's what they were participating in. That's what they were partners with Paul in. The, 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 the giving out, the, the, the consequences of giving out, and the defense of the gospel. And Paul reminded them in chapter 2 what that gospel consists of. It consists of one who found himself in no place to be, to consider it robbery, to be equal with God. He knew that he was God. Jesus Christ is God. But yet, he came in the likeness of a man. He came in the form of a servant. He came and humbled himself. Even to the point of death. We're talking about God, who is not subject to death, but yet he humbled himself. But it wasn't just simply so that he could experience death. It was so that he could experience death on a cross. A very specific death. A death in which, as he would be lifted up, just like the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so that when those who looked upon it would be healed of being bitten by the serpent, that when we look upon Jesus Christ being high and lifted up on a cross, humbly, repentantly, in faith, looking to Him to pay the price, to experience the complete wrath of God in our place. So that, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God Father. That's the gospel. 
And that's what Paul was saying that they were partakers of. They were partakers with me of grace. Now, we have to be, be reminded sometimes about that word grace, that, that it's really the same root word that is translated spiritual gifts. So it wasn't as if Paul was saying partakers of me with grace, like he was saying the blessing over the food, or he was saying uh, something graciously. But they were partakers of his calling, his spiritual giftedness, his ministry. So that as they were partakers of that, both in the imprisonment, which turned out to be the consequences for Paul, right? He's not in prison because that was the only room in, in town. The hotels were full, so he stayed at the jail. No, he was in jail because he had been arrested for what? Disturbing the peace by preaching the gospel. But also in defense and confirmation of that gospel. But not only were they partners for the sake of the gospel, but they were also partners by means of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he, he, he implores them. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation, that same word for partake or to uh, participate or partnership. If there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It reminds us of what he says elsewhere in which there's only one Spirit, there's only one faith, there's only one baptism, there's only one Lord. God is not the author of confusion because there's only one spirit. So not only were there partakers in the only gospel, but they were also going to be partakers together in the same spirit of unity. And then we see in chapter 3 that there were to be, part, to be partners in Christ's sufferings. As he explains about his own pursuit of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, and be found in him, not having a righteousness uh, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, that I may partake in his sufferings, that I may be a partner in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Again, this is very similar to the language in which he speaks about his own life, that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Understanding the value of his life. He reminds him of that in chapter 3, in a pursuit of sanctification, in pursuing that high calling of God through Christ Jesus. The, the, and whether it be participating in the gospel, whether it be partakers of the same spirit, whether it be partners in his suffering, the participation was not just a local participation, but it was transcendent. Now, what do I mean by that? It wasn't just when Paul was around that they were participating with him. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to be in for a week of meetings, and so we all need to get together with the Apostle Paul so we can participate with him. It wasn't just localized, but it transcended where they were. Their participation, as much as he grew to love them while in their presence, was just as real when he was hundreds of miles away in a prison cell in Rome. And he understood that because of their participation in providing for his needs.
But not only was the, particip the participation transcendent, but the reward of that participation wasn't just simply the joyful meeting of his needs, but the eternal satisfying fruit. Sometimes we can get overwhelmed emotionally because we may have, uh, let's say we have an opportunity to give to a missionary who happens to be passing through town. They're raising support. As an independent Baptist pastor, that was our, our, our missionary emphasis in, in which we didn't have a large North American mission uh, you know, to, to, to fund everyone who was approved to be a missionary. We had missionaries that would actually come by our church and they would just go on deputation and they would go and try to raise support from church to church to church. And sometimes they would bring needs and, and they would a specific need, not just simply the monthly support that they were going to need to live by, but they would say, you know what, our, our, our car is in need of repair or our house is, has been destroyed. Or, and there may be a, a specific need that they need. And sometimes we would get overwhelmed with saying, man, we're meeting this need. This is great. And there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, there's everything right about that. But that wasn't the end. You see, the reward in participating in the gospel or with the Spirit or in His suffering isn't just in the meeting of the temporal needs, but is looking forward to the eternal satisfying fruit. Paul spoke about that in chapter 1, verse 11, which he anticipated the fruit of righteousness that would be completed. As Jesus began that work, He was going to finish it so that in the end they would be proven to be righteous because Jesus is righteous. And that would be something that would carry them all through eternity. But also the gift is not a tangible supply for God, but it's an actual and it's an offering to God. Look what he says in verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. He didn't stop there. But he said that gift that he received was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, he understood, and I believe they understood through his teaching, that their giving wasn't just simply meeting his physical temporal needs, but this was something that was creating for God a sweet-smelling aroma. It goes back all the way through. If you go back and trace the history of the Hebrew people, God's instruction for them and their sacrifices, uh, and there would be certain things that they would burn incense to, and it would be something that would bring a great smelling aroma to them, and it would represent what they were hoping that that sacrifice was telling God. Now, there were times in which God told his people he was displeased, and he didn't, he didn't want that. It didn't smell good to him because he knew that it was done in the flesh. It was done out of, out of just simply of obligation. But Paul understood that this loving, compassionate ministry to him and participating with him in his ministry, in his calling, was presenting to God a sweet-smelling aroma. It's like when you smell it, it reminds you of the goodness and the grace that is involved in it. It was acceptable and pleasing to God. Now before we go any further, I'd like for us to just consider where we are. 
having considered this idea of participation in the gospel, being reminded of what it is that we are to participate in, our motivations for participating in it that goes beyond just simply looking at a commercial saying, hey, let me write a $20 check every month to help fight cancer or help me, let me go ahead and do this so that this need can be met on a regular basis. But something that is much more eternal in nature like the gospel. How is it that we consider our partnership? There's a term that's used in the sports world when a team that has a great amount of talent, a great amount of experience, and a great expectation to defeat their opponent, who may be very small, very inexperienced, very lacking in talent. Sometimes the phrase will be used, well, when they play this game, they're just going to mail it in. They're just going to send it off. They're not even, it's really not even thought they're just going to go ahead and mail this one in because the win is pretty much already a done deal. We're just expecting that to happen. Do we do that with, with our participation in church? But don't confuse this with the beginning of the year, one of these, you know, let's make some, you know, resolution sort of messages. I'm just asking a serious question here. Do we mail it in? Do we write out our check, whether we consider a tithe or whether we consider an offering? Do we just write that out and we just kind of send it in? Not supporting it with prayers? Not, not, not supporting it with, with potential physical application of our bodies? To, to that particular cause or that effort? Do we just write out a check saying, well, this is going to be my way of telling God that I'm supporting the pastor and uh, that we're going to pay for the, the electric bill and I'm going to just, you know... Is that what we do? Do we just mail it in? Do we do like... Uh, it was really convenient when Amy and I were first married. I've, I think I've shared this before that because we were both full-time students, part-time workers... Uh, and newlyweds all at the same time that when in the, in the mailbox we would get these little invitations uh, from a, a hotel group saying, hey, come spend two free nights in our, our hotel. We'll even give you a coupon for a nice restaurant. And uh, free's good for me. <laughs> still is, by the way. And I mean, Things have changed a little bit. The free's still good for me. And what we would do is we'd say, you know what? That sounds like a good weekend away. Let's go down to Myrtle Beach. Let's go to Orlando. Let's go to Williamsburg. Let's go to, and we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll use that. I had absolutely no intention of buying anything. I'm pretty hard-nosed and I can sit through any type of presentation and I can act like I'm interested and leave without having one concern about what's going to happen to that person's job. <laughs> because I got what I wanted out of it. It didn't cost me anything. But you know what happened when they started sending me the cards that said for $99, you can spend a weekend here? I started waiting for the free ones again. <laughs> Why? Because I had no invested interest in that. As a matter of fact, all I was there is to get what I could get out of it for free. And I'm afraid there's a lot of people who attend church. I'm afraid there's a lot of people who like the pastor in the community. I'm afraid there's a lot of people who consider themselves a Christian because there's some free stuff that's available, but as soon as there is a partnership invitation given... Yep. Sorry, I'll just wait for the free one. Maybe the next new church will not require an investment. Maybe the next pastor won't ask me 
about what I'm doing about my life and he'll just accept my tithe payment. Oh, did I say payment? I'm sorry. I just, just tithe. You know anybody like that? And when I read these last few verses of the book of Philippians, I wonder, do I mail it in? Or perhaps I'm on the other extreme. Maybe I'm, I consider myself like I do on, uh, at work. We, we, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I work for a company that provides a great amount of benefit to me, and particularly when it comes to insurance. Because I'd hate to get fined $1,000 for not having any. But the fact that I've got exposure to insurance benefits is passive. I just, well, they deducted on my paycheck. I hope I never have to use it. I'm, not, I'm invested in it. I mean, I'm, I'm paying something into it. But it gets kind of aggravating when I think about everybody else that's paying into it that's causing my deductible to be higher because their lifestyles are a lot different than mine. I shouldn't have to be paying. And then I you know, get myself in a lot of trouble when I start thinking that way. Or do I consider my participation in the ministry of Christ because it's out of a, a heart of compassion? A sense of dedication to the gospel. And, it's, and I'm not just talking about writing a check. I'm talking about your time. And all your other resources. How invested are you as a believer? Now, it'd be real easy for me to start drawing the list out. I'm not going to do that. But you know, if you belong to God, His Spirit will show you where, where, where's your partnership at? Is it passive? Is it just because you're part of the group? And it's cheap? Or free? Or do you really consider yourself investing in something that will be a greater reward? Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Before we move on in Philippians chapter 4, I think it's helpful for us to be reminded of what Jesus says from his sermon that he preached on the mount. If you will, look with me in verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. 
For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, and they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And, you, and who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are you worried about? Hopefully you're not so concerned with not having the needs of your life met if you participate in what God is doing around the world that you won't have sufficiency to provide for yourself. Hopefully that's not where you're at today. Hopefully you're not prioritizing the things of this world greater than what God is doing around the world. But what are you participating in? What are you partaking in? Or is it the things that God has promised to provide for you? Or is it the things that the world seeks after? That the world finds valuable? I believe that if we truly believe that participating in the gospel is valuable and that eternal treasures are valuable, and that participating in the Spirit is valuable. We will participate freely. Amen. Not out of obligation. We won't do as Pastor Charlie was bringing up this morning in Christian Growth Group about that free will offering. Sort of the, oh boy, I'm glad this is a free will offering. I don't have to give anything in that because it's not mandatory. It's not obligatory. It's just free will. But free will should be good, right? Free will out of a heart that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That should be a good thing, right? There should be no confusion at looking, if someone were to look at your checkbook, to see that you were giving to the causes of eternity as opposed to the causes of, of temporal things that will be burned up one day. It shouldn't be confusing. Right? Let's continue in chapter 4 of Philippians. Paul says, after having made very clear of his appreciation for their gift, making it very clear that it wasn't the gift that he was after, but he was looking forward to their fruit, says in verse 19, very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
Three observations I'd like to make from just this one verse. First of all, I want us to notice that the word riches there is the same word used for any other type of riches throughout the Bible. This is not some kind of key secret word that has a spiritual significance only to people who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about riches here, it's really not the same riches that the world's looking at, but, but it is. The riches that Jesus Christ will provide for us through is wealth. This is not TBN. This is not your top-selling books at the Christian bookstore. But we need to understand that there are riches, however ever way you want to look at it, found in God. Now, second observation is that's not to be our focus. That while the riches are true and the riches are real, that's not to be our pursuit. That isn't to be what we're living for. And I would even go even further and say that's not even what we should be praying for. Even if you are an evangelist and you need a new airplane to fly around the world to speak to all these thousands of people. Or if you need a big luxurious home to help you relieve the stress from all the, the ministry that you're a part of. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with riches in and of themselves. However, we do know that Paul, as he tells Timothy, that the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. So as we read verse 19, let's observe that number one, the riches are real. Number two, the riches shouldn't be our focus. But the focus, observation number three, should be the glory of God. The glory here is referring to, I believe, the nature of God's supplying. In both its quantity and the proportion. Sometimes we pray as if we serve a, a meager, humble God who had no home on earth, that didn't have a place to lay his head, like, and while foxes had holes, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, we, he's, he doesn't have anything. He's just a poor, uh, you know, uh, God who's just waiting for his, his ship to come in. No. Our God owns it all. It's all his. Cattle on a thousand hills and all the hills that go underneath it. And that's the glorious part, how he provides out of that for us. There are riches in Jesus Christ that go beyond that. Let's kind of remind ourselves of that. Again, this is from a man who's sitting in a prison cell who reminds us in Romans chapter 2 that God is rich in kindness, forbearance, and patience to such that leads to repentance. Ephesians chapter 1, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. How? According to the riches of his grace. Later in verse 18, you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 2, 7, In the coming ages he may show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
Ephesians 3, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Colossians chapter 1, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. See, God's not limited just simply riches of gold and silver. God is rich in so many other things that should change our perspective, that should change our motivations, that should change our goals in life, that should change our outlook. If God was just simply a God of riches, of money and wealth, then we're going to be no better off than everyone else who is seeking those types of things to no satisfaction. But because the God who is rich in all of those things is also rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He is rich in kindness. He is rich in love. He is rich in patience. He is rich in grace. And that's what we are to participate in. That's what our lives should be lived for. Not for the temporary things of this world. Not for the political structure of our nation. Not for the emotional needs of those who were weary and worn out. But for the unsearchable, hard to know riches of who Jesus Christ is. Which leads us, if we're going to think about the riches in glory in Christ Jesus, let's think about this Christ who Paul's already been speaking about. In chapter 1, verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming again to you. We already looked at verse 1 of chapter 2, so that if there is any encouragement in Christ, verse 5, having this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ. Put no confidence in the flesh. Chapter 3, verse 9, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 19 of chapter 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory, in a glorious way, in Christ. Are you invested in Christ today? No one cares if you appreciate what Jesus did. No one's concerned about how much you believe He's a real person. God is not in awe of your singing about who He is unless you're in Christ. No one cares about what you're blogging about. No one cares about what your top ten list is. Nobody cares about 
what goals you have for your family unless it's in Christ. All of these things are important. Your life is important as long as it's in Christ. For me to live is Christ. That's what Paul's saying here in this letter. Church, are you in Christ? Do you have His mind? Are you participating in His ministry? Do you find your joy in it? Is that what you're living for? Are you investing in it so much that all throughout eternity, that's what you will be living with the righteousness, the fruits of righteousness that are produced in you as you pursue that high calling of God in Christ. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you like those words of that song that Pastor Chad is working with our, our younger ones today? I want to say thank you. A well of joy is mine to drink, for my Lord has conquered death, victorious forevermore. The ancient foe is laid to rest. Hallelujah. Christ is King, alive and reigning on the throne. Our tongues employed with hymns of praise. Glory be to God alone. Paul's benediction, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And just as Paul says finally, more than once, he keeps on writing. <laughs> Even after the amen, Paul's not finished. I have a feeling he was probably Paul 12.25. But he says, after all of this, by the way, tell everybody there, we greet you. Because everybody here greets y'all. All the saints greet you. And I love this last phrase that you may be swept away in reading through the book of Philippians. You, you might not catch this. But notice why he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> Caesar's household? I didn't know Caesar was a Christian. Well, guess what? The Apostle Paul didn't stop spreading the gospel simply because he was in a prison cell. Can you imagine the joy of these folks at Philippi who their own lives had been changed for eternity's sake because there was a man named Paul who came and preached the gospel to them. God opened their eyes up, caused them to understand the word, and they became believers. And now they're participating with him, and they hear that he, you know, he's frail, he's going to prison. So they collect all this money together, they collect all these goods, and they send it by means of Epaphroditus to go to Paul. And the response back is, oh, by the way, there's some folks here who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Well, I sure hope he got that warm blanket that I sent him. Well, I hope he was able to use that gift card that I sent to, you know, maybe he can get something good to eat there because we took care of him. No. 
It's the same joy that we should have. But when Amy Bastow Cox comes back from West Africa, it says there's some Muslim women who aren't Muslim anymore. And when you read, whether it be through the voice of martyrs or whether it be through some other group that, that ministers to those who are in prison because of their faith in hostile countries. And as much as I would love to, to give a, a you know, send them a secret key so that if it got through the mail, they could sort of use it at night when nobody was looking and then lock the cell door and, and walk out so that they could be free. As much as I would love to be able to provide them for that, but to hear the testimonies of while they were in prison, that the very people who were beating them to a pulp saw Jesus. Folks, that's worth investing in. Not because we can free somebody from jail or because we can put clothes on somebody's back. Those things are great. But Jesus is coming back. And as much as we, re we rejoice in that, there are people who don't. That, were, that are just like we were. Either contaminated in our own self-righteousness sitting in a pew in church or living like the devil seven days a week or anywhere in between. That's all they are. Generational gaps, behavioral problems, cultural issues, doesn't matter. The bottom line is that they're lost. What are we participating in? What are we investing in? That we can say glory forever and ever to God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray.